This podcast is sponsored by tenofthose.com. Tenofthose.com handpicked the best Christian books that point to Jesus and sell them at discounted prices. I love this book called Incomparable by Andrew Wilson. It is a book all about the character of God. And as you read it, you grow in your love and knowledge of God himself. And you're blown away by who he is. 60 short chapters, really manageable. Wilson writes wonderfully, accessibly, but with depth. I love this book. Highly recommend it. Go and grab it at a great price from Tenebos.com. Welcome to Two Sisters in a Cup of Tea. My name is Sarah and I live in the UK and this is my sister Felicity and she lives in the US. Hello everyone. Hello Felicity. Hello. How are we today Sarah? All alright? I'm well. What's in your mug today? Oh, I've resorted back to the uh, classic Yorkshire grey. Uh, oh, but I thought new- you were going to branch out on your I tea know, drinking. I know, but you know I have a thing at the moment that I can't drive anywhere, so the tea <laughs> shop is without out of reach, so we're back to my own blend. I'm not sure the tea shop would recognise Yorkshire grey. Mm, maybe you, know. you should, you know, advocate it as the thing to sell. Yeah. Um, the pitch. It's good. I do yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. I, have, I have also got a very... Um, a very American biscuit. And it is a biscuit because it does have a snap, but it's called a double stuffed Oreo. Oh, what's you know, it stuffed with? Well, it's stuffed with the same thing. I was expecting it to be fat, you know, mm-hmm. with like more stuffing. It doesn't look any different, but it tastes about 10 times more sugary. Uh, <laughs> so what is it actually in the middle? Well, it's just kind of cream, like, you know, yeah. Oreo style cream. Like a normal Oreo. Yeah, well, it does actually taste quite different. I think probably because there's more cream in there. It's kind of jam packed in there. Not jam. I wouldn't like jam in it. Not but jam. Just not jam. Not jelly. <laughs> to be honest, I've taken one bite and I think that's enough sugar for the next hour or two. So. Oh. <laughs> and is it a bigger sized Oreo than no. normal? No, oh. no, really not. So, I mean, double So what's your, what's your, you know, your order of Oreo preference? What would, you know, what would come tops? Oh, uh, well, I, you know, I did really enjoy the golden Oreo from a couple of weeks mm. ago. That was, I mean, probably because it was just a bit less sweet. I would do like a normal Oreo. I was expecting this to blow my mind because I do like Oreos generally, but I'm mm. just not enjoying it that much. Oh, I'm sorry <laughs> to hear that. What yeah. about you? Got any uh, oh, well. biscuit items? Oh, well, or... I actually really enjoyed my lemon and ginger from last week. I was really quite surprised at um, enjoying a herbal tea. So I've gone back for a second. Wow. Okay. Mm. Interesting. I've yeah, never known you to herbal tea. I know. Like I'm branching out. But I think it might be different to like the ones which just pretend to be squash, like a blackcurrant tea. Yeah, know? that smell amazing, but don't actually taste. Yeah, like I wouldn't naturally go and buy a lemon and ginger juice or squash. That's just not Fair what point. you do, is it? Fair point. Um, yeah. Anyway, last week we touched on a big topic of suffering as we saw Esther being taken into this sinister kingdom. Um and uh, essentially trafficked, wasn't she, mm. into this palace um, to perform and please the king. Uh, Felicity, talk us through how we think about this topic of... Well, it's, not, it's not a small topic, is it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Classic tea and biscuit chat. Yes. You know, what do you do with suffering? <laughs> good, good question. Yes. And I think that's what we're saying is that we've, we've kind of brought it up, what, 
the narrator in Esther has presented yes. a scene where suffering is a reality. And we're going to see in our chapter this week, it's even more of a reality. And so what do we do with that? Because the, the natural and, and actually probably a right question is, well, what is God doing? Like, why is there suffering in the world? And we just want to acknowledge that that is a big question and it is a, a right question. It's a good question. Esther, I don't think he's going to answer it fully. Mm-hmm. But what we are going to see all the way through is that God is at work, even in the suffering, even amidst the suffering. And that doesn't diminish the suffering, but we do need to be looking for his hand at work here. Does that, does that help? Is it going to get us on the right, yeah, right foot? Let's, let's crack on chapter three. I think that's just a kind of, yeah, we just want to put that out there. We're aware that this is hard uh, topics to be thinking about and we just want to voice that and we're going to read on and see what happens. Absolutely. I'm going to read it. Okay. okay. So we're at chapter three. After these events, King Xerxes honoured Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honour higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honour to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behaviour would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the Pur, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There's a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customers are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Then on the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders to the king's satraps, the governors of the various provinces and the nobles of the various peoples. These were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill and annihilate all the Jews. Young and old, women and children on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that they would be ready for that day. The couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. Thank you so much, Christy. I wonder if it's just worth saying, Sarah, that when we're hearing the word Jews, this is not one big anti-Semitic thing where when we hear Jews we should just be thinking God's people yeah yeah that's really helpful um yeah so the big surprise of the beginning of this chapter if we remember back to last time Mordecai had just exposed the plot to kill the king and it's kind of ramping up for him to be honored and then after these events King Xerxes honored Haman um and that's just a massive surprise 
and we should feel the weight of that surprise. And then we feel why it's such a surprise and why it should be so shocking because he's the agagite. Um, and that's really significant. Felicity, why is that significant? Yeah, so I, I'm not sure that that's the kind of, the, that's not the reason why he's honoured. No. But that is a big thing about um, Haman, which we need to home in on as the narrator yeah. gives us lots of detail. So we have this agagite because the Amalekites or the Agagites were the first people to attack God's people out of Egypt. So way mm-hmm. back in Moses's time and in Saul's time, 1 Samuel 15, um, Saul was told to destroy them all because they are the enemy of God's people and mm-hmm. he didn't obey. And so there's a kind of remnant of the Agagites and Haman is a descendant of that remnant. So this kind of uh, rivalry, more than rivalry, isn't it? Enmity between yeah. these two groups of people and uh, that has been going throughout history. And here we have Mordecai of the son of Kish, tribe of Benjamin, and we have Haman of the Agagites. So the ancient enmity is very much in action here. Yeah. And that, yeah, I think, yeah, the narrator's just very aware of that, isn't he? He's really wanting mm. to point that out for us. Um, and the big the big thing about this chapter is that Haman is honoured and that he then he acts in this very godlike um, fashion and wants everyone to kneel down and pay honour to him and worship him as though he's the king and yet he's not and yet he is kind of acting like the king yeah. he's then coming with this um, edict and this um, request that the king kind of happily um, accepts, doesn't he? I so- know, that, yeah. <laughs> as ever, the king accepting advice when you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like Xerxes, yeah. come on. <laughs> but so um, what happens is, so Mordecai, he he doesn't. He refuses to bow down and worship Haman. Yeah. And there's a consequence and it's huge, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it, if you notice in verses um, five and six, so Haman sees that Mordecai is not honouring him and mm-hmm. he says... Uh, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. I mean, that in itself gives us a picture of this empire, doesn't it? So for not honouring, death would be the penalty. But he says, no, 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 I'm not just going to kill Mordecai. I'm going to I'm going to go for the whole people, the mm-hmm. whole of God's people. I'm going to try and wipe out. And this isn't just in Susa, is it? This is no. in all the provinces, in all the kingdoms. So essentially what's happening here is that suddenly, again, in a similar way to chapter one where we got, um, it was very quick escalation, wasn't it, mm. of a kind of domestic situation into kingdom-wide situation. Here we've got a similar, Mordecai's been faithful to the Lord in not bowing down to Haman, and yet the consequence of that is that Haman decides he's going to attempt to wipe out the whole people of God in the whole of this empire. Yeah. I mean, it must have been quite just, as Mordecai realised what's going on, he must have thought, oh, no, have I... Have I yeah. caused like it's just it's crazy, isn't it? That the, his one action could then impact a whole people group. Yeah. And yeah. And the king just and so the king, yeah. So uh, Haman comes to the king and he puts his request and he even puts money, his own money behind it. That's how kind of um what's the word? Uh zealous he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For this to happen. And the king says, Oh, I'll put your money away. It's fine, do what you want with this people. Yeah. And it's interesting because Haman doesn't actually name the people, doesn't there? There is a certain people dispersed mm-hmm. among the people. And the king, I'm just so unimpressed with the king. <laughs> he just seems so detached from any actual kind of people governing. And he's just allowing this to happen. And and more and more, I think the narrator just hammers the fact that 
this ancient enmity between God's people and the Agagites, between Mordecai and Haman that is being played out here. Because the next thing um, in verse 10, Haman, the son of Hamadath and the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. I mean, he's now kind of almost entitled the enemy of the Jews. And I think the terrifying thing is that Haman is clearly the most powerful person in the kingdom. I mean, he's not the king, but he actually seems to have the king. He's pulling all the strings, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. And he is the enemy of the Jews. So he, this most powerful of people, is against God's people. A couple of other poignant things to note, I think, that might be interesting for people to note is um, one that a lot was cast um, mm-hmm. for when for when this edict was going to go out. Um, and that's just... I don't know. There's a lot about casting lots in Proverbs, particularly I've been reading about that as I've been reading through Proverbs. Um, and I think that's just interesting that even though Haman casts a lot, actually the Lord determines mm. um, the direction and we're just going to watch out for that. Uh, but also that it's on the 13th day of the first um, month um, that this kind of edict goes out. And that is actually Passover Eve. So the kind of poignancy of as God's people across the empire celebrate Passover and celebrate God's deliverance from death, they're actually being delivered this um, hopeless and helpless edict of death again. Mm. Death sentence on them that like the utter hopelessness and helplessness that they're in, I think we're meant to feel the weight of that in, in this timing. Yeah, I think you're right. The shadow of what was back in Exodus when death if they hadn't done what the lord said with the lamb and the passover instructions then death yeah. was the certain result wasn't it so the shadow of that and that is that is the thing destruction and death is where they're headed at this point god's mm-hmm. people but then i think then the the hope the poignant kind of hope in that as well it is the eve of passover and passover is the deliverance of god's people so i feel like we're kind of sitting with them and we should sit with them in this just absolute despair and lament with God's people in this, but then also be just just looking out for the possibility of deliverance, the possibility of some sort of rescue from the Lord. Yeah. And actually, yeah, like, and that that's it, isn't it? That's that's where this drives the heart in terms of the threat here is huge. The threat here is the promised seed from Abraham's line to deliver the promised anointed one, the, the Messiah, potentially God's people. And this line is going to be wiped out with this edict that's going out. That's mm. how big the consequences are, that all of God's promises are going to fail in this moment. And so you're right. There's like this kind of double edged kind of feeling, isn't there? Of like, gosh, this is hopeless but also mm. Mm, in whom do we hope? And, and Yeah, I think that's right. The sort of track record of God for yeah. his people. Which... And I guess that just prompts us to think, like as we think about the massive question of suffering, the painful and heart-achingly um, hard question that we all go through with suffering in, in the big picture, in the small picture and everything in between, like when it's feeling utterly hopeless who do we turn to? Where do we turn to for our hope? What are we willing to put our hope in at that moment? And does this flesh out that question for us? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think suffering is a when rather than an if, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We all suffer to a lesser or a greater degree. 
And, and I mean, we in the Western world, we are not experiencing the persecution and the suffering that our brothers and sisters in other countries mm-hmm. face. If we just think about Afghanistan at the moment and that, that kind of place. And, and it must just be that feeling when you're in the midst of suffering of this feels hopeless, this, this seems like there's no way out. And without God in the picture, then that is what it is. But then with God in the picture, everything changes. And I think Esther as a whole book bolsters our view of God. It builds that picture more. And I think as I've been dwelling in the book, it's reassured me that God really is big and powerful and sovereign and his, his fingerprints are all over the book. And so his, he is at work even in the suffering. And that's hard to hear, I think, when you're in the midst of suffering. Yeah. But as we read it now and get that picture of God, so when the suffering comes, we're maybe more likely to believe it, maybe. Yeah, I get, and I guess that's fleshed out in the Psalms, isn't it? It's fleshed out in, in, in Job. It's fleshed out even mm. in the New Testament as Paul talks about um, God working for the good of those who live in. But it's in this utter darkness and the kind of darkest crevices and corners of suffering that we're seeing right here that it kind of, that question kind of is pelted at you, isn't it? Mm. And I guess it's like this kind of fleshes out, okay, is is my faith resilient enough to hope in the Lord at this moment? Yeah. Like, and I think that this really drives home that question for me in, in this. And it, this, the story kind of fleshes that out. Yeah. And I think if you think from our position, this side of the cross. So for these guys at the time, you know, they're on the eve of Passover. What they are remembering is the actual Passover back in Exodus. We, this side of the cross, we know that God does deliver his people through the cross. And yeah. so we have even more kind of tangible hope in that sense. Confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not to diminish the suffering, isn't it? Because this is a lamentable position for God's people to be in. And it must've been horrifying and terrifying. And that last line, the city of Susa was bewildered. I mean, you can just imagine, and we see it in Mordecai's response in the next chapter. Um, So I think it's a combination of sort of sitting in this with God's people in this, and also Mm -hmm. just taking a, a little step back and looking at the big picture and our big God and what he is doing. Um, practically, there's a question of how we side with God's people as they're going through this, how we're we praying for people. And are we just aware that God's people will be persecuted? Mm. It's happened through the Old Testament. Jesus tells us it will happen to his followers. It happens to the church now worldwide. And this just helps us to kind of remember that, doesn't it? And pray, pray, yeah. pray. Yeah. Speaking of which... Would you like to pray as we yes. wrap up? <laughs> I think that is an appropriate response. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can pray. Thank you that we come to you knowing that we we don't have so many of the answers here. Um, we are so humbled in our lack of knowledge, our lack of information, our lack of answers. But we pray to the one who does. We pray to the Lord um, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. We pray to the one who who knows all things, whose understanding no one can fathom. And we just thank you so much that um, in the dark crevices of suffering, we can come to you. 
we can plead with you, we can cry to you. Um, and we do lift up our brothers and sisters um, in different countries who are facing extreme forms of persecution at the moment, Lord, and we cry to you for them. We cry that you protect them. Would you have mercy on them? And would you bolster their hope in the Lord Jesus? Uh, whatever happens in, in this world and on this earth, Lord, would you fix their gaze on the King of heaven? And we pray that you do the same for us as well. Lord, would you can continue to grow our view of you um, as we continue to go through Esther, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So do read on, everybody. Like, Make sure you are... Um, reading ahead, because as we're primed in this chapter, it'd be even more helpful if you were to be looking ahead to see where we can see God's fingerprints all over this narrative. And it's not too late to ask someone else to read along with you. Um, do ask in person, over text, WhatsApp, whatever it may be. And why not leave a review while you're there as well so that others might just hear about it more. Excellent. See you next week, Sarah. Yeah, see you next time. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. This podcast was sponsored by tenofthose.com. Why not head over there now to pick up some great deals on some excellent books? 